0: Africa Climate Conversations. The podcast.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. it's about noon on a tuesday the sun is hot lucy wanja a 70 year old mother of seven from lolua village near kenya's capital center waters a silver oak seedling in a nursery at the ololua forest wanja tells me she and over 30 women from nearby villages have been replanting trees at the ololua forest for 13 years now all voluntarily why are these elderly women spending three to four days a week sourcing and watering indigenous tree seedlings and then caring for them once planted out? Wanja explains. We
2: found this area densely forested. But the indigenous trees were cut down. And quarries extracting soil and maram left gaping holes in the forest. We are here because we want our children to breathe fresh air like we did before. And to protect our soil from erosion. Before we came together as women from the neighboring villages, our children would be robbed and beaten by thugs hiding in the quarries while on their way to school or work. Some were killed, and some young people would come here to commit suicide. The quarries were also used by people taking drugs. So we agreed as women to do something to make this a safer place. Replanting the trees was our way of covering the holes left by the quarries, in the hope that one day the forest can return to the way it was before.
1: The Ololua Forest is a fragmented tropical dry forest located about 30 minutes drive from Nairobi's Jomo Kenyatta International Airport. It is part of the larger Ngong Forest ecosystem, which also includes the forests of the Ngong Hills and the Kibiko Empakasi Forest. Ololua is one of the remaining urban forests in Kenya's capital, but has suffered from decades of degradation in the 1980s as a forest was mined for construction materials. Then three years ago, indigenous trees were cut for the Ngong Karen Bulbul Gataka 160-kilometer road upgrades and the Phase 2 standard gauge railway, the SGR, connecting Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and South Sudan that cuts across the forest. The construction was contracted to the China Communication Construction Company Limited East Africa by the government of Kenya. Kenya needs development, but how can we make sure it doesn't destroy the vital life-supporting system nature us? How can we make sure that everybody benefits, including women like Wanja? Now, these are the questions this two-part series on just social environment and energy transition made in collaboration with China Dialogue, we'll explore. Environmentalist Christopher moredi is the chair of the Ololua Community Forest Association. Morelli tells me that population growth and urban expansion led to something of a free-for-all in the forest.
3: In the early 90s, people needed resources. They needed wood, they needed timber for building structures and those kind of stuff. Most pristine areas, indigenous trees were fell down because these are hardwood like uh, Ole Africana, the mohogo trees uh, with silver oak. And these are the real indigenous trees that are found here.
1: Once degraded, the local environment was significantly impacted and locals went to court. By early 2000,
3: the situation had worsened. The community around Karen came, went to the court, lobbied to stop the continued quarrying and destruction of the forest further. And that is how it was stopped first in the year 2002. After the year 2002, the communities around formed environmental groups and started thinking about how do we better the forest? Because now people start seeing it's becoming more warmer. The forest is becoming more fragmented. We used to see giraffes, we used to see buffaloes. They were not there anymore. And so the farms around the entire Olorua forest start changing. The crops they used to grow are no longer there. You know, the land started becoming more barren, more drier, the rivers, streams that are cutting through the forest started being polluted. The ecosystem now was disturbed and it couldn't sustain the life that was in it then. And so the community started uh, picketing and asking, how do we prevent further destruction of this forest?
1: This was when local people like Murathi and Wenja organized themselves to work together and to find ways to rehabilitate the forest, despite Limited resources.
2: For years, we never earned a penny in the forest. We have always dug into our pockets to buy the seedlings and water them during drought. But this year, we see that God has noticed our efforts. There are more areas in Kenya where trees are being replanted, but the proceeds are shared among four groups. Now, the profits
1: from their sales are shared equally between the women, which means they each get less than a dollar a month, and only when it rains. At other times, this earning have to be spent on water for the seedlings. But Wanja is happy. She sees the positive impact her work is having
2: you see the air is great and it's satisfying being here we are older women past fetching water with huge jerry cans, but we do it gladly we go back home happy people because we have had time to gather pray breathe fresh air and walk together we also get visitors at the end of the day it's good for the heart
1: One of the things that makes the Ngong forest ecosystem so important is its numerous springs. I spoke to Guido Tepaya of the Ngong Hills Bagadi Water Resources Users Association and he reeled off a long list of names, among them the Gateway Springs, the Nkongo Springs, the Bulbul River, and the Njeromoni Rivers. These rivers feed the other river to Sabaki, then down to the Indian Ocean. As we already learned from Christopher Moredi, the damage inflicted on the Olalua forest made the area drier, impacting on local farmers. Without the trees to gather and release moisture into the atmosphere, less water has been falling. As forests like Olalua are cut, the interference with the ability to release moisture contribute to reduction of rainfall. But as the tells me, it's not just the forest microclimate.
4: There's been a lot of human activity that uh, have uh, made a big impact on our rivers or our springs. reason being, there's been uh, issues with climate change, which is a crisis that we are all experiencing. It's here with us, it's a reality. We've seen a reduction of rainfall patterns. Actually, we are experiencing very long droughts for the last couple of years, and uh, thus affecting the water tables because now there's no recharge to the springs.
1: Given all these issues, the last thing Ololua needed was a big development project. Phase two of the SGL project aims to link Nairobi with Malaba on the Kenya-Uganda border. It's an extension of the line from Mombasa to the Kenyan capital, completed in 2017. The first part of this extension, opened in 2019, goes to the town of Naivasha It was built by the China Communication Construction Company and 85% of the cost of this section was funded by a loan from the Export-Import Bank of China worth 1.5 billion US dollars. The remaining 15% was provided by the government of Kenya through the Railway Development Levy Fund. When Moravia and the communities of Luo heard that the SGR would be cutting through the forest, they did their best to stop it.
3: And I can remember those days in 2014, 2015, we lobbied a lot and we said, hey, even as the forest has taken a lot of beating and a lot of uh, destruction, is there no other way can that SGR pass through somewhere else? And so there were varieties. It could pass through Kisamis. Anyway, development has to come, but it comes with a big cost. We fought hard to raise our concerns and to find ways whether the project could be taken elsewhere. But uh, anyway, the government had its way and the SGR line crossed over the Nairobi National Park into Olorua Forest, where... Uh, It cut 32 acres of pristine forest, and uh, that's a very, very big chunk of indigenous forest.
1: In addition to this, a 7.14 kilometer railway tunnel has also been built, allowing vehicles to pass under the railway. To drill out rocks and soil, excavation was done by drilling holes into the rock face, then charging the holes with explosives and then blasting. This interfered with the groundwater feeding the many springs, as Gideon Tipaya told us about.
4: Yes, Jira has come with its fair share of blessings in terms of communication and transport, but on the same uh, level... You've had a scenario where at the tunnel near Kimuka, when they were drilling the tunnel, they interfered with uh, the aquifer and the water was redirected to Kajedo West. That has uh, made some of the rivers on this other side to actually diminish in water levels.
1: Like many residents in her village, Bernadette Wanjiro, a 74-year-old mother of five from a Bulbul village, now has no choice but to buy salty borehole water for drinking and household use. In my neighborhood, there is a mosque underwater kiosk provided by the government and run by community women's group. The mosque's bowl is salty, but the kiosk water is sweet. Taps can go dry for two to three months. Mostly, we are forced to use the salty water as it is, at least available, despite it being salty. Now, given the damage the SGR has caused to the forest ecosystem, why was the SGR allowed to go ahead? To find out, we approached the Kenya Forest Services, but we did not get any response. For Moredi, the overall purpose of the SGR is commendable. As a part of a wider network of railways that will strengthen economic links across East Africa, it is a key part of Kenya's Vision 2030 development program. This aims to transform Kenya into a middle-income country, providing a high quality of life to all its citizens by the end of this decade. But to achieve this, the environmental and social impact of big projects like the SGR must be taken into account.
3: Development is good, but we have to look at this thing called uh, strategic and social impact. We must assess that. How much does it affect the social lives of the people around there? How much does it impact the environment uh, around there? Is it worth? When I look at the way SGR was done here, and our roads that are done cutting through the forest. These companies that are working here in Kenya, they also work elsewhere, like in China. And when I look the way they are doing their construction in their own countries, it's not the way they are doing in our countries. You'd find many places, if there are forested areas, either the road would be pitched high up or it would be underground. And if the impact to the environment were more severe, compared to the benefits that that development would bring, then the the whole development would be discarded. There could be other alternatives of transportation. We don't have necessarily to have roads in the forest. We can have tunnels underneath to leave the whole vegetation. It's done in in Switzerland. It's done elsewhere. Even in China, I asked them when they were here, I asked them, would you quarry? Would you mine? Would you build such structures in Chinese forests? They wouldn't. Even if there is a tree alongside the line where they want to construct, it is the road that will divert away from the
1: tree. But here, they cut trees. I asked Moridi why he thinks these things are allowed to happen in Kenya. We have very, very good policies. But we lack
3: that value of seeing our environment as important as my own life. If someone kills or hurts someone, for sure you'll be taken to court. You'll either be jailed or you'll be fined. So it's a crime. But when people cut trees, it's not a crime. It should be a crime. This is a tree that sinks in the carbon dioxide that I breathe out. So we are interrelated. Trees support our lives. But now look, we are destroying vast lands because we see no value, no value in that in that forest, no value in that in that tree.
1: As Morevi just mentioned, Kenya, along with many other countries in Africa, does already have good policies in place to protect the environment. These policies are based on rights enshrined in our constitution. Here is Robert Kibugi, an expert in environment law at the University of Nairobi.
0: The right to a clean and healthy environment has been recognized in Kenya since early 2000s. And initially, this was on account of the Environmental Management and Coordination Act, which brought around the idea that there is a human right to a clean and healthy environment. But it gained constitutional status through a court decision around 2005, when a court said that the right to a clean and healthy environment was extensive from the right to life. You really couldn't enjoy your right to life unless you had a clean and healthy environment. And so when Kenya got a new constitution in 2010, this was included in Article 42 as a right to a clean and healthy environment, which extends to present and future generations of people that are living in in Kenya and it is protected in a variety of ways. One of them is the right to go to court, including when the right is threatened. It is also, and this is quite important, in the Constitution, in Article 69, there's a series of obligations on the Kenyan state that are supposed to be implemented as a way to implement the human right to a clean and healthy environment and these include common ones like increasing tree cover in the country to up to 10% of the total land area, uh, establishment of environmental impact assessments and audits, elimination of harmful environmental practices, uh, protection of indigenous knowledge, encouraging public participation, and so on and so forth. Those are important because they set up obligations on the state. This is what the government of Kenya at the national level, or the county level is supposed to do. And then, of course, if they don't do or don't do it adequately, then people can use the right to go to court. Or if the government does or somebody else is threatening that right, then people can go to court.
1: So the laws are there, but Kibugi says implementation is wanting.
0: In terms of uh, Implementation on a regular basis, the right to a clean and healthy environment is a common casualty to prioritization of economic uh, growth and economic priorities because you might realize that a lot of the economic outputs set out in development plans are potentially drivers of environmental degradation. And these are what are largely prioritized. So I would say in Kenya and in the countries that are around us, we've done quite well in framing the law in statute or in the constitution. But in terms of implementation, particularly by executive branch of government, we're getting there. I mean, there are tools like strategic environmental assessments or environmental impact assessments that have become quite instrumental in doing this. Uh, in terms of making sure that economic activities respect the maximum thresholds uh, in terms of what they can do to the environment or to people. But even these ones increasingly face challenges around uh, political interference, uh, disregard, uh, failure to enforce conditions, uh, etc.
1: Given these challenges, Kibugi says that the civil society plays a key role in ensuring laws are implemented and the government meets its obligations and he says there are tools in place that ordinary people can use to take action when their rights to a clean and healthy environment is being infringed upon
0: an example i can give you under kenyan environmental impact assessment rules the environment authority can do what we call a control environmental audit if people who are impacted by an economic activities complain, that there is non-compliance, so the tools are there in place. The obvious challenge is that, and this is not necessarily unique to Kenya, even in other parts of the world, the people affected may not always know the procedures that you need to follow, and may also not necessarily elicit the interest of the public officials that are concerned and this is where the role of uh, organizing in the form of protest whether it's online or in person to draw attention to some of these things would happen and i would say that eventually court action is necessary but always I, i always say it is always necessary as a last resort
1: all this places a huge burden on the general public to act as right defenders. There are those like Moredi who are happy and able to take on this difficult role. But even he often feels he's fighting a losing battle. Moredi says the local communities have lobbied and went to court to stop illegal logging and quarrying in the forest. The Community Forest Association has also reported water pollution to relevant county authority. But destructions keep happening. Why is it?
3: Every time you raise a voice, that's politics. People want you to see wrong, but they don't want you to speak about those wrongs. For me, I see a, a great injustice when we have all these good laws that we have and policies. And yet we, the community, have to struggle to make sense, to be seen, to talk about why you're dumping. I mean, it's like we, are, we, we want to force things happen, yet we have laws that should be enforced so that these things are done correctly. So we are seen as community, we are seen as anti-developers. We don't want
1: development. Now, the last result of the court is too expensive and difficult for most people, as Kabugi remind us.
0: If you go to court but don't secure an injunction, then the polluting activity will continue. And in any case, as we have seen recently in a case involving lead battery acid pollution. The High Court, which is the constitutional court, gave the appropriate orders in favor of the affected community. But then the public agencies have gone to the Court of Appeal, and that may take about a year, and it's very likely the matter will end up in the Supreme Court, which could take another year or two before justice has been rendered. In that case, if the public agencies concerned had actually done their work when called upon to do it, By the public, everybody would have been saved a lot of pain.
1: Over the last four years, a below-average rainfall in the Horn of Africa has created one of the worst climate-related emergencies of the past 40 years. UNICEF warns that over 20 million people, including 10 million children in Djibouti, Ethiopia, Kenya, and Somalia, will need water and food assistance through 2022. Now, more than ever, African nations need to protect their environments, both to counter climate change and to ensure communities are as resilient as they can be to deal with the challenges they are already facing. Development needs to play a part in this, not cut down forests and build roads that pollute the environment even more. Back in Olalua Forest, Lucy Wanja is still working with her seedlings. She knows what she needs to happen if communities like her are to survive.
2: The government should prioritize forests like this, even if it calls for fencing to make sure no one will ever come dumping in the forest, but laws must be enforced too, because traditionally... Forests were important and protected to the extent that there were notices on which the laws would be displayed. Plucking a toothbrush-sized twig was enough to get you arrested as it was against the law. But today, forests are being left bare and illegal loggers are free to harvest hazardly for business and no arrests are made. While she
1: awaits for the government to enforce their own laws, Wanja is content, staying under the radar, quietly doing her little bit to make this patch of Africa a better place
2: we never asked for government permission to do this some have questioned who gave us permission are we supposed to help the government or should it serve us but none of this scares us we replant the trees it's like a covenant we made with god to make things right
1: you've been listening to episode one of just social environment and energy transition made in collaboration the africa climate conversations and the china dialogue please do remember that you can access and listen to so many other podcasts that we've done either on our website www.africaclimateconversations.com or you can access them through every podcast channel you access your other podcast from now thank you so so much for being part of this podcast the whole of this year and for the support that you've actually offered me so i'm going to take a break (sighs) the fatigue sometimes can get the best of us right so i want to take this time to wish you good tidings during this holiday season May the beauty of the holidays warm your spirits and hearts. And I do hope to see you at the beginning of next year for another journey on climate and environmental issues in Africa. So thank you so much again. Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogwa.
0: Africa Climate Conversations.
1: The Podcast.